Uh, just a few words about this next piece. It's called The Conversion of Saul. I realize that we're not all up and up on our Latin right now. So um, just, uh, just um, what you'll hear is some Latin words. So they're saying, um, the choir is saying, Cedite vexate ligate vinculis, vinculis condemnate vexate. And what you're hearing is murder, harass, bind into chains, chain, prosecute, and harass. So um, very violent beginning. But as um, uh, the story of Saul, who became the, the Apostle Paul, um, his, his life changed from one of chadite vexate ligate vinculis to one of um, darkness into light so, um, and of love. So uh, this is the peace conversion of Saul.
Thank you. What blessing you've been to us this morning. Music has always been an important part of the Judeo-Christian heritage, and especially choral music. So thank you again. The, the adult life of Saul of Tarsus, better known to us as the Apostle Paul, has been bracketed this morning by, by first this beautiful anthem, and then secondly by the scripture reading that Brian read a few moments ago that was written at the very end of his life. And in this, we, we, we get a glimpse of what Paul was feeling towards the end of his life. Now this, by the way, these, these two readings that we heard are part of the community scripture reading plan that we call the lectionary. So these two passages would have been read already by many churches here in Winnipeg, more throughout the day, and by thousands of churches around the world. Now this anthem captures well the, the violence of Saul as he went around arresting and throwing Christians into jail. In Paul's own words, he said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. His passionate attack on the followers of Jesus began with the death of Stephen, one of the first deacons. Saul was there as they stoned Stephen, guarding the coats of the men who threw the murderous stones that took his life. But the anthem, as if the voices are encouraging Saul in this violence. Murder, harass, bind into chains, chain, prosecute, harass. But then you heard a shift in the music, depicting that moment when Saul was struck by light, a blinding light, here depicted in this painting by Michelangelo. But even more shocking than the light, was the voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why? 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 And finally, we hear the words that lead into a new life for Saul. Fall down on your knees. Turn hatred into love. Turn darkness into light. Bow down, Saul. Bow down. Now in Acts chapter 9, where we find this story narrated by, by the writer Luke, Saul is led along by a blind man into Damascus. They were on the Damascus road when, when Saul was struck by this light. And there's a man in that city by the name of Ananias, and he's learned to listen to God. It's a good thing to learn. And the voice of God sends him to Saul to pray for him that his blindness might be healed. But understandably, Ananias is frightened. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't trust Saul. He's, he's heard about Saul's stories of his passion for arresting and even killing Christians, trying to break them so that they would turn away from Christ. But God overcomes the fears of Ananias by revealing his plans for Saul, saying, Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. 
Now, Saul's encounter with Jesus launches one of those stunning reversals that we often find in the Bible. Saul has been given the opportunity to completely change the trajectory of his life, to turn hatred into love, as the choir just sang, and to tell people about the one who changed his life. Ananias obeyed. Saul was healed, and he followed that divine commission as the guiding directive for the remainder of his life. Now, Paul referred to this commission more than once in his writings. Much later in life, when he was meeting with the elders of the church that met in the city of Ephesus, on his way to Jerusalem, he said to them, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, what was the good news to which Paul testified? The Greek word, it's only one for our two words in English, is euangelion. It's evangel in English. The meaning is good news. Now, the word was often used in that day in the Roman Empire, and and it was about an event. It was good news about an event that brought about a new and better situation for people. The event is the news part. The consequences, the new and better, are the good part. The British scholar, Anglican priest, N.T. Wright, says it this way, what good news regularly does then is to put a new event into an old story, point to a wonderful future hitherto out of reach, and so introduce a new period in which, instead of living a hopeless life, people are now waiting with excitement for what they know is on the way. Well, what is the old story, you might ask? The old story is simply the human effort to satisfy the demand of the gods, or a god, Something seen in nearly every society throughout human history. To one degree or another, some cultures emphasize rituals and sacrifices. Others emphasize rules and obedience. But the old story is simply one of people looking for vindication or justification in the eyes of God. The event that we have in mind is the coming of Jesus into our world, showing us the way of grace. We often refer to this as the Incarnation. Now, I want us to briefly look at the Gospel reading that Brian read a few moments ago. It's a parable. It's a story told by Jesus to help us understand the way that he is good news, because it's his coming that is the event that creates the good news. The story is about a Pharisee and a publican. A Pharisee, who you see on on the left there, is a member of a Jewish sect that placed the highest priority on following the law. Obedience was the dominant theme of their lives. Rule-keeping and rightness with God for them went hand in hand. By the way, Paul was a Pharisee when he was known as Saul. A publican was a Roman official. It's a Roman term, a tax collector. 
meaning he was a Jew who was under contract with the Roman government, that much despised occupying power that controlled Judea. The publicans collected taxes and tolls for the Romans, a job that often resulted in people being cheated because the publicans simply contracted to collect a certain amount. They could collect as much as they wanted. Everything over that amount was their profit, their income. Publicans were often well off, but at the same time they were hated, they were despised, they were traitors, they were thieves. These two men went to the temple to pray. The story is introduced by Luke with these words. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Now, before we go on, let me just add a little bit of commentary as a reminder. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, four different retellings of the story of Jesus as he moved around on this earth. And they're different. They're not the same. Uh, Three or four fairly similar. Uh, John is very different. But sometimes one will include something the others don't. Luke tells a story that the others don't, the story of the publican and the Pharisee. Now, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was a physician, a close friend of Paul's, a confidant. He traveled with Paul frequently throughout his journey. I wonder if this parable about a Pharisee wasn't especially meaningful to Paul, who before he met Jesus on a dusty road was himself a Pharisee. Paul, as Saul, had been living the old story, trying to be justified by God, by rule-keeping, and by being better than other people. Now listen to what the Pharisee says. God I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. The Pharisee, shown in many works of art like this icon, is dropping a few coins ostentatiously into the collection plate for people to see. And we can easily imagine that this was what Saul might have been like before his conversion proud of what he was. Now the publican says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now the words of the man's prayer aren't the only thing that Jesus mentioned. Jesus also draws our attention to his body language, not just his words. We see him standing off at a distance. The Pharisees on center stage, the, the, the publicans off in the shadows, hiding He dares not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beats on his own chest as he prays. And this is the main point of the story. The verdict passed by Jesus, the Son of God, on these two men. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now let's revisit for a moment what Paul said to the elders in Ephesus. His commission was to testify to the good news of God's grace. This is what the parable embodies. In Jesus, we find God's grace 
for those who admit that they need it. As the publican, I'm a sinner. I need mercy. I need grace. For those who confess that they are deficient and ask God for mercy, all who do this are justified. That's the good news. It's not about the old story. It's not about the sacrifice, the ritual, the keeping of the rules. It's about knowing that you're spiritually bankrupt and asking God for help. That's good news. That's amazing. What is even more amazing to me is the story of Saul. Saul, as he was known then, wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't asking for mercy. He was far from humbly asking for forgiveness. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But Jesus met him anyway. And Saul experienced grace. Saul turned his back on his past and began a new journey, learning to throw himself into and depending on the grace of God divine mercy. He knew he needed the grace. He needed the mercy. He says in his first letter to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Paul now has the attitude of the publican. I'm a sinner. I need God. Now at the end of his life, Paul has lived three, three and a half more decades believing and counting on the grace of God. And he's lived his life according to the commission that he's been given as an agent of that grace. He's done his job, and he's done it well. With many miles covered and years spent in key cities where Paul taught and developed leaders, the church has become well established. The very church that he had been seeking to destroy The epistle reading that we heard this morning, a letter to Timothy, the second letter, gives us a powerful glimpse into Paul's thoughts as he waits for his trial. In the first letter, he wrote to Timothy that he was under house arrest, but he fully expected to get out and he fully expected to go on spreading the good news. The second letter has a completely different tone. In this letter, Paul expects to die. In this mood, he seems to reflect on his 30, 35 years of service. And what do we see in his reflection? First, we see a life lived in sacrifice to God. Verse 6, for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. In the worship of the Israelites, they would not only bring animal sacrifices, they would bring drink offerings that they would pour out as part of their sacrifice. Look to the book of Numbers for one example. Along with it, the lamb, you must present the proper liquid offering of one quart of alcoholic drink with each lamb, poured out in the holy place as an offering to the Lord. That was part of the sacrificial ritual. Under the old story, Paul sacrificed animals to earn earn God's justification. But now, responding to the grace of Jesus, he lives his life as a sacrifice. That's his response to grace. Secondly, we see a man who is ready to die. He says, the time for my departure is near. The word departure 
was a word that was used for the breaking of camp when you're ready to move on, or it was the, the moving of a ship away from its moorings as it begins to travel. How often had Paul done both over the last 30 years as he traveled telling people about Jesus? But departure is also in that culture a metaphor for death. Paul says, my death is near. We see a man who's fought the good fight, verse 7. More than once, Paul uses the boxing metaphor to describe spiritual issues as he talks to the church. And he may have that in mind here, but literally he says, I have contested the noble contest. So that could be hockey, it could be football, it could be basketball, maybe tennis. I have contested the noble contest. Paul's saying, I've been seriously and completely invested in this, not counting the cost. To use an athletic metaphor, he says, I've left it all on the field. I held nothing back. He's also a man who has run the race. How's he done? Did he win? For Paul, it's no longer about winning or doing or being the best. He says, I have remained faithful. That was the most important thing to him. There's a song that I've been a fan of for close to 20 years. It's kind of a Christian pop, rock, uh, bluesy kind of a song. And, and the, it begins with a line that says, everybody looks good at the starting line. And that's true. You, you go to a race, you, you, everybody's smiling, their, their, their clothes are clean, their bodies are clean, uh, they're optimistic. That's not what you see at the end of the race. This is what you see at the end of the race. Uh, people stumbling, people dirty, people sweaty, people whose faces don't look so happy anymore. Even sometimes when they cross the finish line, their, their faces are more contorted with pain than they are with joy. The song goes on to say, you can hit the ground running like you're shot from a gun, but going the distance is the hard part, son. Everybody looks good at the starting line. Paul's saying that he's gone the distance. He's done the hard part. Going the distance is the hard part, son. He's been faithful. He's gone the distance. He hasn't looked back thinking, boy, this was a mistake. He hasn't quit. He's been going as hard as he can. Number three, he, he's, he's a man who's getting a crown, a man who's receiving a prize. Now, that would be the victor's wreath that was awarded to the winner. Paul's expecting this crown, as he calls it. It's not the crown of royalty, but the prize awarded to the athlete. And he says, now this prize, this crown awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And he goes on to say, everyone who runs that same race and finishes running as best they can receives this crown. For he says, the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So, Paul, so Saul was converted and became Paul. His life was changed, like his name. 
And he spent his life fulfilling his commission to take the good news about Jesus to the non-Jewish population centers of the Roman world. He was faithful to his commission. Now I want you to think back for just a moment to the words of Ananias. Actually, it's God's words to Ananias, not his words. God's word. He says to Ananias, Saul is my chosen instrument. I must show, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, Paul certainly suffered during those years of obedience to his commission. He gives us a little glimpse of that in his Corinthian letter, uh, what was involved in his running the race. Now, it's a long, long paragraph, and I was going to read it, but it's too long. Here's the high points. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. They threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. But he goes on and on of all the difficulties. Not the least being his love for the church. Turn hatred into love, you sing. This church that he had hated, he now loved with such a passion that he was constantly concerned for. That was one of his greatest sufferings in his life, loving the church so much. That's just the highlight of what he had to suffer in the fulfillment of his commission. What, what kept Paul going all those years, you might wonder? Well, there's a simple hint at the end of the epistle reading for today. Now, now Paul had already had a preliminary trial, and he says this. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Did that hurt? What do you think? Listen to what he says. Everybody abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Sure it hurt. Hurt a lot that he was alone. But he says... Father, don't let it be counted against them. You remember when Saul was standing, guarding the coats as Stephen was being executed by stoning? What were Stephen's last words? Father, don't charge them with this. Same words as as Paul. Father, May it not be counted against them. But he goes on to say, But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. Paul was conscious of the presence of the Lord with him, the very same Lord who met him on that road to Damascus. Throughout his years of living and fulfilling his commission, he was conscious that that Jesus whose voice he heard on that road was with him and that that Jesus was giving him strength. The Lord stood with me. Saul had been like the Pharisee in the temple when he was a young man, relying on his own efforts to vindicate him before God. He had seen himself as better than others. Lord, God, I thank you. I'm not like all these other people. He was better than they were, especially better 
he was as Saul than the followers of Jesus. But the grace of God broke into his life unexpectedly and undeserved. And Saul's life was changed. He became Paul, the apostle, a man sent with a message, the message of the good news. Now, many of us in this room today, we have our own conversion stories. We, our, our meeting with Jesus wasn't nearly as spectacular, probably, as, as Saul's. But we had our time of meeting with Jesus. He, he came to the road where we were, and, and he met him. Maybe we were busy trying to please God with our performance, or maybe we were busy trying to ignore God as best we could. But Jesus met us, and he taught us about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he's commissioned us to follow him and to tell others the good news that we have come to know as a reality in our own lives. Let us, like Paul, fight and run well. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into our world and bringing grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for meeting us on our roads and introducing us to grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you for committing to us the story of the good news that we can tell to others about this grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.